some people might remember it's a great baseball movie. I'm not going to be able to refer to it too much longer as people age, but Field of Dreams. There's this quote that most people remember. I don't know. Do you know the quote? If you build it. Yep. What's the rest? If you build it, they will come. In business, when you build it, no one cares. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 190 of Anesthesia and Pain Management Success. I'm very pleased to be joined today by our special guest, Zed Williamson. Zed is the founder and CEO of Trackable Med, which is a, among other things, a medical marketing company, but really more than that, a strategic partner with and advocate for independent private practitioners of various specialties. He's also the host of the Medical Sales Accelerator podcast, and he's here to talk today about his experience in helping physicians successfully increase new patient volume to their practices, a topic in which I've been interested for a long time because a lot of my clients have these questions. So Zed, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Justin. Great to be here. For starters, why don't you just tell us a little bit about where who you are, where you come from, and what Trackable Med does? Sure. So I will say I do not come from healthcare. I actually come from the advertising world, but I despise the industry. It drives me nuts. It's totally riddled with a complete lack of accountability to actual results. And so I left it. I said, this is, I didn't feel comfortable with this idea of uh, organizations patting themselves on the back for serving advertisements or clicks to a website or getting impressions. Sure, there's people listening to this that get reports and, you know, it's an 87 page PDF and you don't know what the heck it's talking about, but someone wants to get paid for it. And, The funny thing is, you know, imagine a surgeon coming out of a surgery and and wanting a high five because he used 12 scalpels. Who cares? What's the outcome, right? So I started this company about 12 years ago, and it's specific to drive results. Now, here's the problem with that word is the definition. Someone could define a result as a click to a website. So we very specifically define result as something you can deposit into a bank account. And that's what drives everything we do. Now, just because that's the drive, does, how do we actually do something different? Well, here's the problem with the industry. The industry is taught things like branding. You know, If you have uh, people going to college now and they're learning advertising and marketing, they're taught case studies on Apple, on Nike, Audi. That's great. It's the idea of someone choosing something over something else that does not relate to healthcare. The biggest opportunity for private practice is the patients who are not seeking treatment. And that's the stuff that happened when the first person who wrote the copy that got someone to sell their horse and buy a car. And that is not taught. And that is human behavior. So this company is built and rooted in neuroscience. Now, that sounds fancy, but basically, we view human behavior as what we're here to change. If there's a patient out there that's in pain, they likely have bias that is keeping them from treatment. Either they think, well, it's just because I'm getting older and I'm supposed to live that way, or they have some assumptions about what options are that they don't like, and so they simply don't seek treatment. And so we're here to change that behavior. 
So what we do is we uncover the biases that are in the way of doing that, and we create messaging that overcomes it. So it's a company that is here because we're not looking for that pat on the back of serving impressions. We want a patient to be sitting in the office. And when you started this podcast, you had said, you know, driving new patients. Sometimes that's not good. There could be people who feel like they're on a hamster wheel right now because they're seeing so many patients. We actually are very specific about what type of patient we drive into the practice. Because if we just get you more of the patients that maybe bog the practice down, maybe it's the wrong insurance, maybe it's people that you don't have as much fun treating, eh, we didn't really help much. We really love finding out, you know, what do you love to treat? Who's the patient you get the best outcomes from? Let's get more of those. So sorry, I rambled, but that's that's generally who we are as a company. That's perfect. And I really am intrigued by this approach because it is, it's different than the traditional, shall we say. And, you know, when we talk about growing a new practice, often it's like, well, you, you need a referral network. You need to get the other docs in town to know who you are and what you do and the types of patient, like informing potential referral partners, which is a valuable and important part of sure. this. But what you're describing is something totally different, that there's a bunch of patients out there that need you that don't even know it yet. And they wouldn't even have a conversation with their, for example, primary care doc about their lower back pain or whatever. And Correct. so going and finding demand where it doesn't exist, finding patients that nobody else is looking for yep. is seemingly novel. So tell me more about that. <laughs> sure. Well, here's, here's where it comes from. Referrals can be great. I'm, I'm not against referrals. What I don't like that's happening in healthcare today is the person that has the hardest job, a physician founder, private practice. Why is that the hardest job? Because you're leading a business while also being the person that's doing the work that generates the revenue. That is massively difficult. And that is the person that is getting crushed the hardest by health systems gobbling up primary care and referral patterns. So, you know, let's say 30 years ago, you go through your training, you work the hard, long hours, you open private practice, you get to swing the door open, flip the, flip the light on, pretty comfortably get business. That's not really here anymore. And if we just go tell people you exist, you know, some people might remember it's a great baseball movie. I'm not going to be able to refer to it too much longer as people age, but Field of Dreams. There's this quote that most people remember. I don't know. Do you know the quote? If you build I do. it? Yep. What's the rest? If you build it, they will come. In business, when you build it, no one cares. And so if you're a practice and you're open today and you just tell people you exist, we are literally designed to not care. And so if your referral patterns are getting crunched, if you're feeling this pressure of lowering reimbursements, referrals going down, what are you supposed to do? And so what we refer to as the untapped addressable market is what we provide to physicians. So what is this? Well, here's the thing about humans. You know, we got this pretty cool skull inside it, some squishy gray matter. That is not much different than it was 300,000 years ago. And the design of it is to keep us alive while making very quick decisions, utilizing as little energy as possible, which is a brilliant design for other than today's society. So in today's society, 
you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off, your brain treats it as if you've just, someone's tried to murder you. That's, it's not the best way to use energy, but what also happens, this is where bias and heuristics come from. What that does is it drives patient behavior. So, you know, it's real fun. If, if I have an, a room of a thousand people and I'm offering to give away CPAP machines, guess how many, you know, raise their hand and go, Ooh, I want a CPAP machine. Zero. So let's, let's, why is that important? Well, someone probably knows they have an issue. And the next step would be to call a doctor. And they probably know that doctor is going to say you should get a sleep study. And the sleep study, they probably know what the sleep study is going to tell them. They have sleep apnea. And then they probably know, well, that means I get a CPAP. I don't want a CPAP. So I just stay undiagnosed. That exists in every single specialty. And I'm sure people listening to this have heard patients say, gosh, I wish I'd come in sooner. If I had only known, I didn't have to be in this pain. Those people are out there and they are available to activate. And the way we do it is by communicating with them about them. This is the biggest problem in advertising. And this may sting some of the people listening today. Physicians, you are not the hero of the story between you and the patient. The patient is. But all advertising talks about the physician or the practice. You go to a website, there's a lady in a sundress twirling in a bed of daisies, and it says the best, most reliable pain care because of our amazing doctors and technology. Patients go, well, they don't know me. They're not talking to me. And so they move on. We need to communicate with patients and let them know that you understand that they're the hero and you're the guide. It's a much better position to be in. Be the guide that helps these patients be the hero of their story. So that's how we do it. So I imagine there's some listeners out there who are falling one of a couple camps. One is they feel like they're super busy and they're not making as much money as they want to. Or number two, they're not as busy as they want to be and they feel like an increase in patient volume is sort of the next step for them. So sure. maybe pick pick one of those yeah. and imagine they waltz into your virtual office and take us through the process of how do you evaluate where they're at and where they need to get to and what tools you're taking out of your toolbox in order to build a plan for them? Yeah, it's a great question. So the foundation that we operate on is a belief and it's a hard belief. Every system is perfectly designed to get the result it gets. So if you are in one of those buckets and you don't like the result, just realize you're operating the perfect system to get that result. It's not bad. It's not good. It just is. So the only way to change a system is to understand the individual pieces and then pull different levers. We got to tweak what those levers are so that we change the result on purpose. So in both cases, what we really want to find out is what is the greatest. If you could wave a magic wand and bring in the perfect patient, who is that patient? What is their disease state? What are they dealing with? How does it affect their life? And then as an understanding from your practice, and some people have an idea about this. Some people may be offended about the concept. And I believe it's okay to be a strong physician-owned business because it allows you to treat more patients. There's a segment of people that's like, wait, you can't put a value on a patient because that's not what we're here for. I get the concept, but if you go out of business, guess how many patients you get to treat? Not a lot. Or you're doing so illegally. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> So, you know, if 
we think about what is the lifetime value of the patient that you wish you had more of that perfect patient disease state scenario, the ones you get the best results from the ones that you get healthy reimbursement, the patients love the outcome. You enjoy doing it. What's the lifetime value of that patient? How do you figure that out? It's just simple math. If you've got good accounting, good income statement, you can figure it out. Basically, we want to pull out the gross cost against the operation of interacting with that patient. And then we want to pull out the expenses as a percent out of that patient. And we get this leftover lifetime profit of a patient. The next piece of data we want to look for is what is the cycle? So if I see a patient on January 1st, when is the crescendo? So do I hit my lifetime value 12 days later, 50 days later, 146 days later? doesn't matter what the number is. It's just, we need to know it. So now you have these two pieces of the puzzle. And now what we do is we'll actually connect with a couple of those patients. This is going to sound weird. We have an interview with them that's almost like a hypnosis because we want to uncover the, the behavioral triggers to the barrier of treatment. And then we use that to inform all the messaging. And so then we implement that messaging. We know what the lifetime value of the patient is. We know what the cycle. So then we can create a predictive model saying, if we do this, we should expect this on this date. And then we track towards it. The tools we specifically use is we're agnostic to. So you, it depends on your market, depends on the patient, depends on the demographic. We do not care. We only care about the outcome. And then we measure to it and keep tweaking to make sure we get there. Whether you're in the bucket of you're busy or in the bucket of need new patients, you know, the thing that I would say, if you're busy, you just need to be open to the idea that the patients that are maybe be bogging down your practice, you might want to push those patients farther out into the future and bring the more valuable patients in sooner. If you're against that, then what we'll do is we'll look at, are there internal constraints that maybe you're not privy to? Is there something internally that is causing constraint on the organization that's reducing what your capacity is? So that's, I know that's a lot in a, in a little chunk, but that's basically the idea is let's rebuild this system so that we get a different result. So one of the challenges of uh, being a, the CEO of a medical practice, as well as the primary practitioner mm -hmm. is that you've got a million things to do all at the same time. And something like patient specific analytics or breaking your patient group into cohorts and assessing profitability yep. and treatment timelines and all the, like that is some pretty detailed analytical work that somebody who's just trying to make sure that they're paying the bills has probably never sure. done. So if somebody says, Zed, this all makes sense. I like your approach, but I don't even know if I have enough to get to the starting line with this process. Can you talk about how you engage with docs in that situation? Yeah. The key is let's be smart and conservative and simplify it. So if someone has a really, like they're thinking that is a heavy lift, here's what we look at, which most people can't access. How many unique patient visits did you have in 2022? Meaning if Bob saw you 20 times, Bob is counted once. If Jennifer saw you once, Jennifer's counted once. So unique patients in the entire year. What's your total revenue? What's your total gross margin? What's your total net expenses? And we, that creates a very conservative lifetime value. And if you build the model to work on that, it, you're going to be surprised, you know, fivefold on the positive side. 
and it's very easy to do. So that's how we would treat the model. If we don't know, if we can't create that, here's that perfect patient. The perfect patient choice is going to be a gut. Most people listening probably know. If I, if I could, if you were only allowed to treat one patient, what are they dealing with? What is this? What is it that you love to do? The thing that you're, you wake up and you go, oh yes, I've got a bunch of these lined up. This is my favorite day in the world. You get off of work and you've got a ton of energy because it's just your favorite thing. You love the post op because the patients are happy. So that's how we start. And then, you know, say you get that patient identified by the physician. And they say, okay, it's this, it's this CPT code. It's this age, it's this payer mix or this payer. Now what? So we'll interview that patient because here's, you know, there's a couple, I won't go into the hardcore cause I'll bore, I get too geeked out about this and I know I'll just run people away from this podcast episode. So I'll keep it, keep it light on the neuroscience side, but we want to understand what barriers that exist are in the way. And I'm, I'm, I'll throw a couple examples at you. First of all, one thing that we always want to pay attention to, and this isn't even a heuristic, is the reticular activating system, RAS. Easiest way to think about this is a neural network that allows your brain to ignore things that aren't important, pay attention to things that are important. Huge survival mechanism, super important, right? You imagine, you know, let's say thousands and thousands of years ago, there's a tribal husband and wife and two kids and uh, the guy's, you know, cleaning a kill for them to eat. The wife is down by the stream kind of beating the hide and the kids are playing in the stream. There's all kinds of sensory inputs going on, right? Sound, smell, visual. If that guy hears a heavy footstep and leaves, instantly he comes to attention. It wasn't louder. It meant more because it means he's about to be eaten. So that same thing today basically keeps us from paying attention to any marketing message. And it's why everybody who drove today doesn't remember a single car they passed or followed. Unless, because there's going to be some people going, ah, I remember. It was either a police officer and you were concerned because you're going a little too fast, emotional connection, or it was a car from your history, maybe a car that you had when you were a child or a friend's car. Other than that, you don't remember a single one. Your, your eyes took everything in, but your RAS said that's not important to survival, so get rid of it. That blocks the majority of any kind of advertising message. So the part of it is getting to that emotional impact on the patient. The next one that we pay a lot of attention to is negativity bias. Negativity bias drives so much behavior, it's incredible. And this is going to sound strange. Someone in pain, if you tell them you're there to help them get out of pain, it's pretty much worthless. That seems weird, right? It's because promise for hope, promise for future is a very weak mechanism in driving human behavior. Immediate pain or loss aversion is much more. So we want to spend the message talking about their current existence, not what's possible. They need to understand that you understand them. And then we can present to them that you have solutions for them. But if you come out and say, you know, imagine if we just pretend we're listening to radio, Dr. Bob's pain management clinic is the best at getting you out of pain. It's a total waste of money. And those are, that's just two little aspects of the neuroscience side. 
We interview individual patients to uncover the specific ones tied around the procedures that you want to do. And there's hundreds of biases and heuristics. And so that's what crafts the message. Once we do that, then we look to present the message, whether it's digital advertising, good old-fashioned broadcast advertising. This is going to sound strange. It all works because all those things are designed to do is deliver a message to an audience. What matters is, does the cost to deliver it compared to the return on investment make sense for the plan? And that's based on market. You know, you're going to be different if you're in Atlanta compared to if in, you're in New Orleans, compared to New York, to Portland, Oregon. A demographic of 60 plus is different than a demographic of 30 to 35. Mm-hmm. So those things all come into play. Okay. So you're, you're actually interviewing patients of the physician. So can you talk a little bit about kind of that process and like, how do, how do you get everyone's okay with that? And how, how do patients usually engage? And, uh, yeah. So we, yeah, go ahead. So from a compliance standpoint, we also work with pharmaceutical and medical device companies on clinical trials. So we are about the most Boy Scout buttoned up uh, compliance organization there is because you you know when AstraZeneca is making you jump through hoops to be able to talk to patients in a clinical study, you know we pass that test. So we have very specific uh, business associates agreements that we you know have with the practices before we talk to patients, and then we we provide the practice with the communication to use to set up those meetings. That patient has a very specific calendar that's tied exactly to them. And then those those meetings, this, this sometimes people go, well, can this really be good? But it is what it is. We've done enough of these meetings. The, the interview is about seven minutes. And patients love it because we're helping them actually re-realize the smart choices they've made in regards to seeking treatment. We typically like to interview three to four patients to get an idea. The one kind of guide we have to tell physicians is please don't give us the crazy one-of-a-kind story that's that you know weird thing that never happens i know you're excited about it but it doesn't represent population so we just want the you know normal everyday type of experience and that's it so it's a it's we've done it so many times that we have it honed in And then we use that to create what we refer to as a bias checklist, which are the three to four to five major biases that are barriers to that patient taking action. And then we use that to inform the strategy. Cool. So when you say inform the strategy, you're processing the survey that you got, the interview that you conducted, and you're saying, let's look in the toolbox. We've got all the different mediums of, you know, you mentioned like broadcast advertising, Facebook, I'm sure other social Yep. Search book or uh, search engine stuff, whether it's marketing, SEO, like a Google pay-per-click type of arrangement, yep. all that stuff is things from which you're then going to build a customized plan for your clients. Correct. So can you give us a couple examples of things that you hear and which mediums those draw you to and how what implementation looks like? Sure. So let's say you are in a market, I'll just because I said the the, the city Atlanta earlier. Let's say you're in a city like Atlanta and you have uh, proximity within the city of your, of your location or you have multiple locations. If that's the case and your target audience is you know, over the age of 45 and it is a simply understood disease state, like this person, it takes a few words for them to understand that we're talking to them. 
in Atlanta, broadcast television is absolutely amazing. All the same things, put that in Austin, Texas, not going to do it. It's just because of how these markets behave with media. We buy media across all the cities. We've done so for a long time, so we have that insight. But what we're looking to do is in that, let's say we go back to Atlanta, we run a TV commercial. Here's what happens. Someone dials the phone number that's in the TV commercial because it's only in the TV commercial. Usually that call happens within 45 seconds of the TV commercial running. Sometimes you hear the end of the TV commercial in the recording of the phone call. In most cases, we are actually, because we operate an appointment setting call center, we're actually the ones that take the call and book the appointment into the EMR. It's not required. If you've got an awesome staff and availability to answer the phone, that's fine. If it's a need, then we can take it on. And some of these people are going to go to the website. So we want to make sure that the narrative. So sometimes we have to tweak someone's website. It's not needed. If it's not needed, we're not going to do it. Um, We can either handle it or if you work with someone, we can hand the copy to them to tweak for you. But it's just about thinking about the patient narrative. One of the biggest mistakes all businesses make, this is not just healthcare or advertising, is the assumption that something exists in a vacuum. It does not. A patient is not sitting there with their hands folded in their lap going, I wish someone would present a message to me that connected emotionally so I could immediately respond and book a commercial and book an appointment. That's not how we are, right? So they're busy. They're running from here to here. They're dropping their kids off. They forgot this. They ran back in the house. They're catching this. You know, so we have to understand what are they going to search? If they can't respond, what are they going to search? Let's make sure that we're found. If they're found, does it connect? Is it congruent? As long as it's congruent, they're going to continue that path of connection. And then we see, hey, you know what? The TV commercial ran at 11.02 a.m. We saw websites visit spike at that time. We saw 10 visitors come in, four of them called, two filled out a form because they want an appointment, and three left. The three that left spent most of the time on this page about lower back pain. So the three that left, let's wait a couple of days and now serve them digital ads when they're on Facebook, because we knew they're on the lower back pain page. And then let's see if we can bring them back in. And if we can't, let's change the message. And if we can, and they call, cool, keep doing more of that. And so it's all, it's a, it's kind of a living, breathing thing based on the data, the data feeds it so they can optimize as it goes. So if I'm listening to this now and I'm like, I wish I had more patience <laughs> or I wish I had more of the right types of patients, how long does this usually take? And I'm sure it depends on how many different mediums you're using and all of that. Uh, but how long does it take? And talk about different price points that um, yeah. your clients are. Uh, yeah. So let me bucketize people again, because I like that you used that earlier. If you are currently advertising, like actively spending money now, Uh, typically you would feel our impact in three to four days from when we engage with you. It sounds crazy, but it's because you're already trying to to make things move. We will instantly fix what you currently have while we build out the bigger plan. There's no reason to let you to continue to miss opportunity. And so there's some things that we can instantly fix no matter what is going on and no matter who the patient is, that's just general. And it's going to instantly increase the results. While that's happening, then we'll go through the process of the patients. Patient interview is the biggest variable. You know, if the patients are available and we can interview them all within a couple of days, 
and we can get rocking and rolling in two weeks. You know, sometimes we've had people with complicated schedules and let's say their website was in really bad shape, you know, maybe six weeks. And so that we know in advance, it's usually not a surprise. And so if someone's out there going, well, like, even if my website's horrible and I don't want you to fix it, is it faster? That's when we'll say we're probably not a good fit. Here's why. We don't have contracts. So we're not asking you to, you know, to stay with us for any length of time. So if you have a horrible website and you're asking us to get you new patients, and we know about 70% of the patients served ads are going to go through your website and we don't have contracts, so you don't need to stay with us. We're really looking at the entire system. If we go back to that, to make sure that we're going to be producing on the other side, because we would like you to keep wanting to pay us. <laughs> and that's, that's not a norm in this industry. The norm is, hey, you have to do this for a year or six months to see your return on investment. That is a load of crap. If you do this right, there are so many patients out there that need help that the response is immediate. The price point, everyone loves this answer, and I'm being completely sarcastic. It depends. There are clients that pay us a few thousand dollars a month. There are clients that pay us $60,000 a month. And it's not because they have 20 doctors. There's single physician practices that pay us that much a month. And it's here's what would determine that capacity, the procedure, the patient, what's the lifetime value, what's the turnaround time. These are all the things that go into building it. But what we want to understand is what is your goal? And we're going to push back on it a bit. Because it has to be real. You know, if there's a procedure you love doing, and for the last four years you've been doing 10 a month, and you tell us your goal is to do 100, eh, we're probably going to try to walk you back a little bit into something that's realistic and then build the plan to do that. And so, because the plan's customized, then we'd understand what the cost is. You mentioned a, a word earlier that my ears perked up accountability, which I think in this area in particular, I'm interested to know more about the way you think about that and the way that you create accountability for the work that you're doing. Because it's easy mm -hmm. to say, you give me $10,000, I'm going to give you this package. And there's not necessarily any attachment to the actual outcome. Like, I don't want the package. I want what the package yeah, you want the, what hopefully it does. is going to deliver to me. So tell me about the way that you think about that for your business. Sure. Well, that's why we really focus on the throughput. Because if you tell us that the first available appointment for new patients is eight weeks from now, eh, it's probably not time for us to work together. We, we have a lot of data of campaigns and success of campaigns. There is no version of this that the return on investment is, is impositive. Patients are worth a lot of money if you get the right ones in. There's so many patients in need, it's easy to get them in. What screws this up is all the stuff in between. So that's why we'll focus on the throughput. The As it relates to accountability, this is where no contracts come into play. Look, after month one, if you don't believe what's, we're not going in the right direction, all right, we'll stop. No worries. No harm, no foul. There has been very few times. Now, I started this company about 12 years ago. I have fired ourselves probably twice. I didn't like where it was going. And so I went back to the person and said, it is not going in the direction we expected based on everything. And so I am not comfortable continuing. So it's just about if we understand what the goal is, we understand who the goal is with, all the pieces are there to build the system. 
the only way stuff like that goes bad is if the piece was wrong. Like in other words, the goal was not real or the patient wasn't real or wasn't important enough or the information is bad. This is so here's a fun story. We are working with a client and they we treat this as we're asking you to hand us the keys to your car a bit. You know, we're not really here to have a four-hour conversation over what color to put in your logo. That's not who we are. We're mission-based. We go, you, you want to accomplish that? We go do that. So we got a call from a current client, and they really wanted us to change the strategy. Every bit of leading indicator we were tracking was yelling at us, do not change. And so we dig into why. Why, why do you want us to change? Well, this is the outcome. And so the outcome didn't make sense to us. So we asked for some data. And this person's belief was the time frame from first appointment to procedure was about two weeks. When we dug into their data, it was about 118 days, slight difference. So what they were looking at is they were looking at a downturn that was not related to what they believed it was related to. About 118 days earlier, they took a three-week vacation. So we showed this and we said, we, we really don't feel comfortable changing. Here's everything. They stuck with it. And then boom, here comes the procedures. So this world, it's, just, it's, it's about, can we have open conversation? We, are, we on, you know, are we walking next to each other, shoulder to shoulder, moving towards a goal? Very rarely does something go wrong. If people want to learn more, where should they go? I would visit trackablemed.com. And, you know, there's a place specifically for private practices. You can see a bunch of clicks there. You can click on case studies, but simply click the button and request a conversation. And you'll get connected with someone here quickly. And our process is really designed to uncover if it's a good fit. We are not for everybody. I'm, you know, just like every patient is probably not for you. And so that we do not take this approach as like, hey, we're the best thing since sliced bread for every human on the planet. And why? I go back because we don't have contracts. So we are going to do a good job up front to make sure that, that there's a strong fit. So best thing would be go to trackablemed.com. Please feel free to reach out to me directly. Um, you can find me easily on LinkedIn. Zed Williamson, and you can connect with me there. Message me. Always happy to chat. Zed, this has been a real pleasure speaking with you today. I learned a lot. Hopefully our listeners have too. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Justin. It was great. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.